Hey everybody, I'm Seth, I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and I am uh, have, have the privilege of opening up the scriptures today with Vicki, um, and I'm going to kind of like just give a little background introduction here. We're going, we're in this fourth week of our relational series, and a big reason why we're doing this has everything to do with the fact that our God is relational. Week one, Luke Simmons opened up and talked about the Trinity and was giving us um, a high view of how God is a Father, Son, and Spirit, how He's one God in three persons, and that He is relational, and that's why God is love. The next week we talked about uh, how the God who is relational makes a relational universe, down to the very particles of everything that exists, Everything is interacting with everything all of the time. And then last week we talked about how our, our vision to be the best friend our community has is relational. That we want to be a transformed, transforming presence as we love and connect with our neighbors and we represent God as the, and we bring the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And how our mission is not just to create social programs, but ultimately to be good friends to our neighbors and to the people in our neighborhoods. And then this week we're going to talk about our relational mission um, and how it is that God works relationally towards his relational ends. In this text that Val just read for us out of 2 Corinthians, um, our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's again introducing God in relational categories. He comforts us in all of our affliction. That word comfort is, is interesting. Just this past week, I was on vacation on the beach in California, and I was with some people who I dearly love, but they were convinced that part of being on vacation included working out in the mornings. I was not interested. I had no desire. I didn't have the will or the strength to, but every morning somehow I got roped into working out. And then it was like, we're going to do 10 rounds of this. And by round five, I was not interested. But because they were there, I kept going. I was able to go on. And that's actually rooted to this word comfort. This could also be translated encourage. But comfort, think about in music, forte means strong. So comfort has to do with installation of strength. Uh, a presence that instills strength and encourage has to do with installation of courage. So this idea that our God comforts or encourages us, he instills strength and courage into us. His presence gives us strength and courage. Verse 4, he comforts us in our affliction so that, why does he comfort us? Just because he wants to, period? No, but there's a blessed to be a blessing. There's a comfort in order to be comforted so that we may comfort those who are also in any affliction, that God's presence gives us courage and strength so that our presence can then be a source of courage and strength to others, our relational mission. So our mission as a church, maybe you haven't, maybe you've heard this language before, maybe you haven't, but we exist to birth and strengthen healthy disciples. And this idea of strengthening healthy disciples, health has a lot to do with ability or strength, even in that sense. And so we're trying to help one another, help you, help me, help Vicki become healthy disciples. And so our big idea here today is this, that our relational God uses relational means to accomplish his relational mission. And so I'm going to pray, and then um, Vicki and I are going to walk through um, some text, and we're going to hear from her a bit um, as she uh, sheds her expertise on what we're talking about here. So let me pray, and then we're going to walk through this big idea. Father, thank you for your presence, which does comfort. Thank you for uh, moving towards us when we don't move towards you. Thank you for moving towards us when we move away from you. God, our afflictions are real. We are in this comprehensively broken world. 
uh, where all of our relationships in every direction, a relationship with our work, a relationship with you, a relationship with ourselves, a relationship with other people, that there is sin-filled tension, just brokenness in every direction, and yet you step into that mess and comfort us. And so, God, as we think about birthing and strengthening healthy disciples, as we think about the ways that we form one another into a healthier presence, I do ask that you will uh, help us see our interactive, our interactions, our ordinary connections as uh, meaningfully part of your mission here on earth and our mission as Redemption Church. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. Amen. So I'm here with Vicki. Vicki, you have been on staff with Redemption about a year and a half, and uh, you've been here for a while as our counseling director, and you are like the relationship expert. Is that what being a counseling director means? That you're the relationship <laughs> expert? Is that how that works? Not sure that I'm an expert, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more expert than me anyway. And so um, I know that for our church as a whole and for me personally, your, your insight into the dynamics between and inside of people and recognizing the way that these things play out and land has been super helpful to me and um, really helpful to our church. And so a lot of our ways I think we've grown relationally in a healthy way as a church the last year and a half has been a lot about your presence and your presence has been installation of health and strength and comfort and so thank, thank you, you so much for that um there's a handful of questions i wanted to ask I actually have kind of three big questions and you can we can interact over these but the first big one is this is why so we're, we're sinful broken people why and how does god use people to care for us and grow us among all the options why and how that way yeah, so I would say, although God isn't limited in his, the ways that he can grow and care for us, the primary means is through mm-hmm. relationship. Um, so that takes me, I go back to thinking about Genesis. We're made in the image of God who mm-hmm. exists um, in three, three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. So in and of himself, he exists in relationship. And so we can't mm-hmm. image a God in isolation. Mm-hmm. And um, So slow down right there. So God is relational. He makes us as image bearers. So there's yep. something fundamentally about people working on people, working with people that's connected to our image. That's yes. right there. Yep. So. Yep. So when I experience his care, um, well, when I experience care through other people, through when I'm being heard and valued, when um, my pain is, is cared for, when I experience um, generosity and patience and kindness and forgiveness and mercy through other people, I'm experiencing um, mm. that that's a venue that he's using through that person to care for me. I'm mm. experiencing his character um, mm. through that image bearer. Mm. Mm. So there's not even like plan B, God's using people, but Genesis 1, God chose to use people to yeah. reveal his character. That was plan A from the beginning. Yeah. God wanted to work through people to reveal his character to the world. Yes, mm. yes. And then we think about Genesis 3 and uh, Adam and Eve, they um, ate fruit from a tree that they were told not to and something happened to the image in us that was shattered. So if we think about like a a perfect mirror, Mm. there's this mirror image, but in the fall when they ate the fruit when they were commanded not to, that image was shattered. So now we're like distorted images Mm. going around trying to care for each other so the image still persists it's just now it's it's distorted yeah kind of like looking in a broken mirror it's it's you but all scrambled like yeah we're scrambled pictures of god a lot of the times yeah and so now he's he's growing us and transforming us and scripture tells us he's making us more and more and more into the image of christ mm. and one way he does that is through image bearers mm. and it's through relationship mm. so it's in relationship that my shortcomings like my quick temper uh my arrogance, my pride is experienced. Mm. And 
other people, and typically it's the people that we're closest to that we're in the proximity with and mm. um, that are going to experience that, and they're going to give me feedback. They're yeah. going to experience that, hey, you didn't listen, or I ex- they're going to experience me mm. being quick to speak and slow to listen, and they're going to give me feedback. Um, the way that they give it may or may not be mm. the most. Even the feedback is a broken mirror situation. So yes. There's... Mi- there's Feedback isn't always great, but I, I always think about how I, I really don't struggle with anger at all unless there's a person there to make me struggle. Right. But really, they're not making me. They're revealing to me my broken mirror. Yeah. And that, like, that's what comes out of you. Mm-hmm. And so by God's grace, somebody's going to be like, hey, that's um, not, the, the, you know, we can think about that. That's the, actually the distortion of the image of God. We, we experience the image of God, but we also experience the distortion of the image of God. Yeah. And in that sense, like, your mirror is broken in a different way than mine is. Yeah. And so there are ways that I might be healthier, more whole than you are, and, and there are ways that you're healthier, more whole than I am. And we... Yeah. You know. It makes me think about... Um, so, Matt is my husband. We've been married about 21 years. Mm-hmm. I should know how many years. So you've seen him sin a lot, is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I've seen him sin a lot. But, you know, like, he, he uh, is super self-controlled. Like, so when I get angry... He's just this solid, mm. you know, and so um, I'm experiencing yeah, the self-control and this patience. But you know what's interesting is I will do anything I can to get him to not be patient and to lose self-control because mm. I'm, I'm wild, crazy, doing mm. whatever. And so it's interesting that like his very self-control convicts me or confronts mm. my lack of self-control. So it's yeah. easier for me to, to want him to lose self-control so that I will feel better. Yeah, when other people sin like me, then it normalizes it and it doesn't bother me as much. Yes. Well, hey, we're all, we're all, we all struggle with lack of patience, right, Matt? Sin with me. Yeah. Please yeah. sin with me. Yeah. yeah, come to the dark side, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, yeah. which is crazy because you think about really then what I'm doing is who wants, who wants a spouse that isn't self-controlled and isn't patient. Hmm. But, but so there's this kind of mixed up way that we interact hmm. and do relationship. Hmm. Um, yeah, so the how and the why is everything to do with that was God's will from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And now because of sin, it gets dicey, but yes. it's still his will. So, so here's the second big question I have then is, is this one. It's, it's a little bit technical, but maybe you as counseling director can help it for us. But counselors often distinguish between content and process. I think that distinction matters. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it would be healthy, helpful for our church to understand that distinction. Um, but what is that distinction, and how does it show up in Scripture? So some counselor out there says it exists. That doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but I want the content and process in the Scriptures um, yeah. help us see that. Yeah, so I would say um, content is pretty easy. Content is the information. It's the topic of conversation. It's the message. Mm-hmm. So that's content. It's pretty easy. Process is a little bit more hard. It's harder to understand. Process is what's happening in the relationship. Mm-hmm. So... Um, how is each person experiencing the other person? Are you for me? Are you trustworthy? Will you hear me? Will you care about the things I care about? Um, so it's, it's also things like tone and body language. Mm. So we, it's, a, it's active, actively being an image bearer or mm. not bearing God's image very well. Yeah, and so the reason we make that distinction is because there's often a gap in content and process. Yeah. Could you give me an example of that or what it looks like? Yeah, so um, I asked my kids if I could share this example. Oh. It'd be... That's, uh, a, that's a pretty good move. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they were, they were out with friends, and they, they had their expectation of what the time would look like and um, what the activities would be. 
And they called me and they said, you know, everybody is outside doing this activity. We wanted to be doing this. And um, so, you know, it's just not going well. So in my mind, I'm thinking, this is easy. Go out and do what they're doing. And so I, I even exhort them to, to love like Christ. I was like, you know, Christ um, considered others better than himself. So this is an opportunity for you guys to go and enter in and do, and do what they want to do. So we hung up the phone and then I thought, you know, I'm really going to exhort them. And so I sent them a couple of texts and said, you know, like Philippians 2 and really just exhorting them. So everything I said was... Um, Biblical, scriptural. Biblical, scriptural, true, yes and amen. But my daughter texted me back and she said, Mom, we called you because we were hurting and um, you made us feel like we were doing something wrong. So, so the content was they're experiencing a disconnect in relationship. Mm-hmm. And my content is I'm directive, love like Christ. Um, but mm-hmm. her experience of that mm-hmm. was shame and you're not doing it well. And so she comes, says, we're hurting. And my response is you're not loving well. Mm. So there's almost like a, an incongruence or a, a lack of lineup that you are telling your daughter, yeah. consider other people, be yes. a servant. But you in that moment are not considering your daughter being a servant to her. That's right. And so that's, so that's the gap between yeah. you have good biblical content, but mm-hmm. if you don't bring the content in a way that lines up with that content, it's incongruent. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so she experienced not being seen, heard. Um, you know, I think the Christian life is where we enter into. That's what Christ did. He entered into our experience, into our situation. Hmm. And so when I didn't enter in and have compassion and listen. Um, so I skipped steps, right? Like I just became directive and she, they experienced it. I minimized their mm. pain um, and they experienced their pain being minimized. Mm. And by God's grace, she told me, mm. right? Yeah. By God's grace, I, um, I could change my trajectory. Yeah, and I feel like that gap between content and process, I would assume, is a huge part of what counselors have to deal with all the time is because I think yeah. about whenever I experience that gap, when someone's very sad and I say, Oh, how are you doing? And they say, I'm fine. It's like, yeah. like that's code for, yeah, I'm not interested. Or like yeah. it, it immediately breaks the relationship when there's a gap between content and process or when someone's, um, you know, telling me something deeply hurtful, but they're like trying to be like, yeah, it doesn't match. It, 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 it feels like a gap. And so you start to feel crazy. Like, are you a liar or am I crazy yeah. when there's a gap in that content process thing? Yeah. Is that like a ton of what you do working with counseling? Yeah, because I would say process, the, the relationship, the method is also communication. It's mm-hmm. not just the, the content or the topic that we're talking about. So I could be communicating something to you, but the way I'm doing it, the method I'm doing it is actually communicating the opposite. Mm. So even though I really did care and it was genuine and I, I want my kids to grow in, mm. in loving like yeah. Christ and becoming more Christ-like and mm. being transformed more and more into his image, the way in which I did it um, didn't actually communicate care. And so mm. then what happens is they can start to question, does God care about my pain mm. or does he only care that I do things right? Because you're the image bearer yes. of God. Yep, if and when, when you're failing to image that God cares then we're wired because of Genesis 1 yes. to feel like, I might know, but sometimes I feel like God doesn't yeah. care just because my, the image bearers are sending me mixed signals. Yeah. So then all of a sudden God feels distant. Hmm. 
Mm. Right. And I'm talking about the things of God. Yeah. But because mm. my method isn't one of humility mm. and kindness and patience and reflecting the character of God, yeah. he feels more distant. Yeah. And that, that is the big idea for our, our big idea today is that our relational God uses relational means. Yeah. Not, it'd be crazy if our relational God used non-relational means, but he's using people relationally to birth and strengthen healthy disciples. And so that's a big deal. So, so tell us about, uh, if you're going to go somewhere in scripture to talk about content process and how that plays out, uh, where would you take us and help us see it? Yes. So I think looking at Jesus, who's Mm -hmm. the perfect image bearer. It's a safe bet. Safe bet. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's look at Jesus. Um, And whose image we are being made more and more and more into. You know, so the passage I was pondering was John 4. Hmm. And this is the story about the woman at the well. And so Jesus and his disciples, they're traveling through Samaria. Um, His disciples go off to buy food. And Jesus is tired and thirsty, so he's resting at the well. And a Samaritan woman comes. And so the content that they, they enter, they enter into a conversation and the content that they start talking about leads to her, her past. He mm. says, he asked her to go get her husband and she says, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five and the man you're with now is not your husband. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that's the content. That's the information is her past. The things that have brought her shame, um, this questionable past. Uh, she's experienced being, maybe being ostracized, stigmatized. And she, after the conversation, she ends up going back to the town and she says to everybody, come and meet a man that told me everything I ever did. Mm-hmm. So the process, what would her experience of Jesus have to have been for her to go back to the town and say, hey, come and meet a man that told me everything that has brought me shame and stigmatized me and disconnected me from people. Um, mm. so, so we would have to look at what did Jesus do hmm. in his interaction with her? Uh, what didn't he do? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you think about that story in John 4 where she's there in the hot of the day and she's probably there in the hot of the day because socially ostracized people can't mm-hmm. go there in the cool of the day because they don't belong they're not connected, and here's Jesus showing up to a thing. She's probably supposed to be there alone. She probably does it alone, yeah. but he's there. He's present, and he's not. He's not like the other men, or something like that. And yeah. what what else? Like, there's a lot you could read between the lines here in this story. But. Yeah, and I think even the very very beginning of that interaction. So we have um, a Samaritan, mm-hmm. and so Jews didn't associate with Samaritans, and. That, now we have male and a female, and now we have a female with a questionable, morally questionable past. Mm. So she has like three strikes against her. Who is going to want to seek an audience with her, mm. right? Like unless it, unless their motives are, I don't mm. know. Mm. But we see Jesus by asking her a question. He asks her for water, and. Mm. What is he, already he's giving her value, dignifying her, um, acknowledging her presence. Um, and so already she's like, this is, hmm. and she even explicitly says like, why are you talking to me? You're, um, how hmm. can you ask me for a drink? Hmm. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and Jews don't associate with Samaritans. Right. So she's yeah. like, so already. There's a, there's a countercultural process, countercultural relationship there. Yeah. He's already crossed a border. He's already crossed a line. And I mean that positively, you know, he's. Yeah. He's breaking down the barrier, interacting. Yeah, he doesn't let cultural boundaries dictate who and how he cares for people. Hmm. And he's, he's willing to talk to um, somebody, somebody that hmm. has been stigmatized and ostracized hmm. and 
and in a way that um, gives her value. Hmm. Yeah, and even just this connection, like I think about verse 18 in chapter 4, or verse 17, 18, when Jesus says to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband, for you've had five, and the one you have is not your husband. That's one of the hard parts about reading it in the text on the page, is yeah. like, you don't know, like I remember initially reading that story and picturing Jesus being like, gotcha, mm-hmm. like there's a finger pointing, judgmental, but I'm thinking, based on her experience, she goes away and says like, this, like, she's excited for other people to come and meet this yeah. guy. Yeah. And we don't know if Jesus has tears in his eyes. Right. If he's, like, if he's going, five men have bailed on you in a row. Yeah. And you're with one, one right now who won't give you the dignity of marriage. Yeah. And maybe there's tears in eyes. Maybe there's weep. Maybe, maybe there's like a, and so you kind of, and I don't, I want to, I don't want to overread into the text, but based on what she's going, like, this man is for me. He's safe. Yes. Other people should come experience him. Yes. You know, Pharisees already existed. If she needed to go feel judged by someone, she could have done, she that. Could have done that. Yeah. You know, come meet this Pharisee who told me that I am a terrible person. You know, yeah. like, there, you don't invite people into that. But here, there's something about this guy. Come and, yeah. come and see. Mm. Yeah, and it makes me think, like, if, if I was meeting the woman at the well, I, if I'm honest, my default would probably be like, yeah, you know what? Let's talk about your past. Yeah. Let's mm-hmm. let's talk about how many husbands you've had and why you've had it and why what choices you've made and where's your idol and let's um, identify the common denominator here. Yes. Boom. There yes. it is. Yeah. And why did you choose choose that and um, where are you not trusting mm-hmm. God? Mm-hmm. Um, but but Jesus doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. He he doesn't. Yeah. At the same time, he's still confronting. Yeah. And so yeah. we also don't get the sense that he's. Um, condoning or excusing. Yeah. yeah, he's not. I think a lot of times when I think about speaking the truth in love, the way that functionally plays out in my experience is people say the truth really harshly and then afterwards say, but I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> so that. Not like actually like the loving process of connection and relationship. It's, yeah. it's more like the uh, I tag on the I love you at the end and that makes it yeah. okay. Yeah, and I think when people say, let's speak the truth in love, um, I think... And what I've generally observed, what they mean is, I'm going to speak the truth to you about your sin, where you're falling, where you're not trusting, maybe your idol, because I love you. Hmm. But really, is not the truth also that Jesus cares, hmm. that yeah. he um, is for you and with you. And so, you know, oftentimes we'll talk about the gospel offends, but I think it, it confronts, but it also gives life and offers hmm. hope. And so if it is only offending and not giving a hopeful direction, hmm. um, then there's a problem because it's good news, <laughs> yeah. right? And mm. yeah, even just this going back to our big idea of our relational God uses relational means, and here this woman has an, a relational experience with Jesus, and she goes and becomes an evangelist, telling other people. So she, she goes and has a relationship with these other people and brings them back, and then yeah. these people later on um, it says verse thirty nine, many Samaritans in the town believed because of the woman's testimony, but then they said and they came to him. Then they said, we heard for ourselves and we experienced him for ourselves. He's the savior of the world. And so there's, yeah. these are, even in these little interactions, we can't say whether a re- an interaction is relational or not relational. Yeah. We can just say that it's either healthily relational or unhealthily yeah. relational. You know, yeah. the random person on a street holding up a sign that's offensive to me, like that's a relationship. It's just a narrow negative yeah. relationship. That's right. <laughs> it's just not a good one. That's right. I think it's interesting because here we have the friend of sinners 
seeking to have a one-on-one mm-hmm. with um, with this obscure Samaritan sister of ours, right? And that's an outcast that, um, and and he cares for her and he's interested in her. He knows her situation, and um, when she goes back to the town, he doesn't make her clean up her life, stop living with the guy before he uses her. Yeah. Right. All these people. He uses that testimony in the midst of her messy life. Yeah. Yeah. We at the same time we we kind of do get the sense that there, there's a trajectory change that mm. that if this is true she is going to be transformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even just the, the heart of this, the father is seeking people to worship him. Like that's speaking yeah. the truth. Yeah. yeah. There's not. Yeah. yeah. We always reserve speaking the truth for negative things. But that's good. And I think what good news for us. Because if any of us have experienced rejection or um, not being loved well, we've experienced being ostracized, ostracized, stigmatized, and yet look at the the heart of Jesus, our Savior, for us. If this Mm -hmm. is his heart and attitude towards her, is this not also his heart and attitude towards us? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is so good. And even, uh, I think about maybe broader than this, broader than this John 4 text, we talk about like trying to follow Jesus mm-hmm. and our birth and strength and healthy disciples. One of the things that always shocks me when I read through the Gospels is how many questions Jesus asks. Yeah. Here's like the guy who actually is the know-it-all, not yeah. all of us who just pretend like we're know-it-alls yeah. or just arrogantly know-it-alls. But he's constantly drawing people out, asking questions, because a lot of times people just haven't been asked questions. And the, yeah. and, and the question helps people see their broken mirror and maybe in a way they haven't seen it before. And even just that connecting questioning and questioning is probably too negative, but just drawing out the process is, is Christ-like, not just nice. Yeah, it is Christ-like. And I think, yeah, Jesus did know and we don't. So I think that that calls us to be more um, cautious and maybe slow and causes us to have that posture of curiosity and humility and being like, I don't know. So any assessment that I come to, I don't want to come to quickly or hold on to too too tightly um Mm. and yeah when i jump to kind of directives to the do just like with my kids right i didn't ask any questions i just went right right to the directive and i made an assumption they're calling me because they're hurt i made an assumption that they're not loving well Mm. and and that's where i went what i missed was this opportunity to ask them questions tell me more empathize and have compassion for the pain that they're experiencing from this broken um relationship or the disconnect in the relationship you know what else I didn't do was connect them and be like you know let's pray right Mm -hmm. Jesus says God says cast your cares on me I skipped all that stuff we didn't even be like what does the what does God have for us let's see what can come to us through through praying and being like right so I missed connecting with God Mm -hmm. and asking them questions and putting the relationship the responsibility of the relationship on them like what do you guys think you could do now? Hmm. Um, because maybe I will see faith um, in, in their mirror, right? So maybe I'm directing them in something that that would actually already have come out. Hmm. I'm trying to solve and fix something that actually doesn't need to be fixed. Hmm. If you skip to directing, then you end up patronizing. Yes. I think a lot of times people, like if I'm feeling sad and someone says, well, you know, God's in control. And you're going, did you think I didn't know that? Yeah. I'm, doesn't make me, and and it ends up being like you clearly don't understand me because you feel like you need to tell me something that is obvious to me. And, yeah. and there's a gap there. Yeah. So, is there anything else in this text, John four, that you were hoping to draw our attention to or draw out? You can say no. Don't have to make um, up. 
No, I think I think that just covers it. Like he's he's pleased to use people. Um, he's pleased to enter in and have compassion hmm. and slow. And um, yeah, actually, I'm just thinking about how he let the woman direct the conversation. Hmm. Um, you know, he kind of confronts and says, "Go get go get your husband," and she says. I don't have a husband. And it's interesting where she takes the conversation. You know, she's like, uh, well, you do say that we have to worship over here at the temple. Um, and so he's happy to go there. He's happy to go in whatever direction mm-hmm. and speak to that. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, again, my default might be like, okay, let's go, let's go back here. I want to make sure that you know what mm-hmm. you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, that question or where she takes the conversation in and of itself shows that she's thinking of things of God. Hmm. And, and she's, she's anticipating and waiting for the Messiah. Yeah. Um, she already has like this Jewish Samaritan tension. She has this where's the right way to worship tension. Mm-hmm. She has all these spiritual questions she doesn't have answers to. And, yes. Or she feels a tension about it. And she puts them on the table and Jesus goes from there. Yes. Mm, yeah. That's good. Yeah. One of the things just convicting me about this whole content process reality is that Jesus asks way more questions than he preaches sermons. Yeah. And for me as a preacher, that's scary. And for yeah. me as someone who feels pretty, like I feel pretty confident in what I think the correct view of the world is. Yeah. And Jesus made the world, so his views, yeah. and yet here he is asking questions more so than just providing answers or yeah. depositing wisdom. And, and, and it's, I feel like that's, that's challenging me. Yeah, and I think when, th- when a solution or a next step comes from the person versus somebody else telling them what to do, it's so much more powerful and mm-hmm. they own it. So if, if it's my solution for you versus it's, it's your solution for yourself or it's your faith for your, right, that's coming out of you, um, it's such a different mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. I'd also say sometimes I f- think we feel like we have to get everything done in one conversation. Mm-hmm. And when even the beginning, the first question, like God isn't limited to how he uses people. Mm-hmm. So like when I'm counseling, maybe it's a one on one hour conversation once a week. But here's the thing is God is using the preached word every Sunday, right? Maybe they're in a Bible study or they're reading or they're listening to music or they're having coffee with a friend, right? Like, like we can leave room for the spirit to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to be slow. And I think that's the tension. It's going to be slow. Yeah. With Jesus and this woman, he doesn't talk about sexual ethics. He doesn't no. talk about... <laughs> Right. Um, Genesis 1 and 2, he doesn't talk about um, the meaning and purpose of marriage, the role of government, or the extent of, he talks about like a doctrine of worship. Yeah. And he kind of brings it back to like, we worship in spirit and truth. It's not about where, but it's about who. And, yep. and he kind of starts there and he leaves all the other ends untied. And yeah. you're like, this lady, does, she's not fully equipped yet. Yeah, yeah, but he's content to have one conversation be yeah. one conversation. And that's, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we have a hard time doing that. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're going to do it today, though. Yeah. <laughs> so we're out of time. Let's go to the third question here, the last one. And uh, so here's this question. is So what happens if we don't think about or conceive or see sanctification? So sanctification is growing in holiness, growing in devotion to God, growing in health. If we don't see sanctification as a relational process. So what are we missing out on if we think it's just acquiring information or if we think that it's just... Um, you know, tightening up our doctrine, or if we think that it's something, what happens if, what's going to go wrong if we don't see sanctification relationally? Yeah, I think we can misread what's actually happening in the relationship. Hmm. And so, um, you know, I'm thinking, actually, like when people are about to get married, and they're super excited, and we're going to go and have a family, or travel, or 
live life and they, it's going to be all fun, right? They're not necessarily always looking and being like, oh, this is the person, the primary person, primary relationship, because the proximity and intimacy um, that God is going to use to sanctify me, meaning this is the primary person that God is going to, uh, that's going to experience my shortcomings, my sins, my faults, and they're going to speak to me about them. Hmm. Right. So I just want to have fun with this person, but, but God is using this. So when, when my spouse says, um, you're not listening to me, right, this is, this isn't a, they are against me or this isn't a, they need information because they don't understand. This is a, here's an opportunity for me to grow, um, and be transformed more into the image of Christ. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, if, if I have a view of myself, that's this high. Yeah. And then you reveal sin to me, then my view of myself goes down. Yeah. And that makes me feel bad, and that's yes. your fault. Yeah. So stop saying stop. Yeah. Stop. And so I, I feel that all the time. That if someone is like revealing to me my sin, either because of just their own love of God and devotion, or also because they're just explicitly telling me, there's like I go, well, that person makes me feel worse. Yeah. And there's a yeah. we're pain avoidant people, and so go away, pain avoidant. And I would rather have you not understand, or you need to be the one to change, than to mm-hmm. consider. Um, gosh, maybe something that you're saying, uh, what, what's at risk if I consider what, what the other person is telling me, hmm. right? What's at risk if I really am not listening well, or what's at risk for me if, to, yeah, to really consider and engage with the feedback that they're giving me. Hmm. Um, one is they're right. I am wrong hmm. and I don't listen as well as I think I do. Hmm. But here's the good news is I get to confess that. Mm. I get to bring that to Jesus. I get to say, God, help me, because the feedback I'm getting is that I'm not listening well or that people are afraid of my anger um, or whatever it is. I get to confess that. Mm. And not only is it going to be forgiven, he's going to transform me. And now Mm. here's a specific area where I can be transformed more into the image of Christ. Mm. Help me, because Mm. he's a God that helps. He cares. And so... Now, maybe there's one thing that I can do, do differently, and this person is here to help purify, mm. uh, make me more like Christ. Yeah, I feel like when we really get the heart of Christ, then being confronted about sin mm-hmm. can actually be, like when Paul says, sorrowful and rejoicing. I think it was yeah. Martin Luther, he said, when someone tells me that I'm a sinner, that makes me happy because Jesus loves sinners yes. and Jesus died for sinners. Yes. Rather than someone telling me a sinner and I get defensive. Yeah. You know, I'm a sinner. Oh, tell me more. Yeah. Because Jesus loves sinners. Yeah. And, and there's a, a healthiness there. Yeah. And I would say what's at risk if we don't consider it. And w- so if we do consider it, as I'm wrong, but if we don't consider it, what's at risk is the opportunity b- to become more mm. like Christ. Mm. And I would say here's the freedom in that is my becoming more like Christ isn't dependent on other people. It's not dependent on you, um, you know, because I want, okay, but, but him or but she or, right? Like, like I want you that to. That feedback was brought not ideally, therefore I'm going to dismiss it. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so whether, independent of how the feedback is, there, it takes humility to be like, mm-hmm. is there truth in the feedback? Because mm-hmm. they, they could have been, I could have really hurt them badly, right? And so, oh, yeah. Yeah. right, we all lash out out of hurt. And so what's at risk for me? Um, mm-hmm. That point of it takes humility to receive less than ideal feedback. Yeah. I'm more and more convinced that like the real mark of maturity, humility, or health is the ability to receive poorly given, even sinful feedback and to find the truth in it and to internalize it and to process through it with Christ rather than to react defensively, but to 
be curious that even yeah. if you gave me the feedback as terribly as possible, yes. mm-hmm. even if it was at 2 a.m., even if it was, uh, mm-hmm. there's this ability, and I think that takes an incredible amount of health to be able to receive bad feedback and to see it as an invitation from Jesus to repent and trust more fully. Yes. And pe- when you change a dance step or way that you're interacting with somebody, um, that changes the relationship. People experience that. Mm-hmm. Right? So now all of a sudden, and, and I think changes slow and incremental. So I don't just go from being an angry person to not being an angry person, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's this, this slow process. So I maybe do one thing differently mm-hmm. um, where I'm like, <sighs> I can feel I'm getting angry and defensive. I need to take a break, right? Mm-hmm. Or um, maybe I'm always right and you have to be wrong. And so now I'm going to be like, okay, the feedback I'm getting is that, that I never listen or I'm always right. I, what's at risk if I'm wrong? Or I take your feedback or take your input or implement your input instead of my idea, right? Mm. Like there's always just one thing that we can start doing differently. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so bringing this back to our our big, big idea that relational God uses relational means to accomplish his relational mission. So if we want to be the best that our community has, and that's a relational process, and if God's going to, if I need to be a transformed, transforming presence and God is sanctifying me, if he's growing me, if he's working me, that he's using people to do that. Um, As counseling director of Redemption Gateway, what else do you have to say or what else do you have to add? Like what's your hope for Redemption Gateway as we um, try to live this out? Um, Yeah, I think looking at Jesus and he cares. Hmm. And sometimes I think we skip the caring and compassion um, to, to direct or fix or solve and so slowing down and being like, he cares. He really cares, and so I can care. And it's not, I think the tension is, okay, when do we speak? But it can be a both and. And sometimes um, it's, it's just really hard. We think maybe we're going to enable or um, people think we're, we're approving hmm. their sinful choices. Um, but so we don't have compassion. So I would say compassion, humility. And listen, hold on to our assessments loosely. What's one more question I can ask? Mm. Um, I don't know everything. And my assessment could be wrong. Mm. And so what's one more question I can ask? Um, mm. Am I understanding? Am I hearing you? Um, because that, that process, that experience of somebody saying, me saying like, hey, Seth, am I understanding you? That in and of itself mm. but is experienced differently than to you than if, if I'm like, okay, I understand, mm-hmm. but you need to. Da-da-da-da-da. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's a compelling vision. It sounds inefficient. It sounds harder. Yeah. It sounds like more work, and and, and it's, it's understandable mm-hmm. why we avoid it because yeah. it it is taxing. And I know there are weeks when like I'm sure there's some parents at home who are going, if I have to yeah. do all this every time my kid has a problem, that means that I will do nothing. And yeah. and so is there like any measure of like pragmatic like do what you can or are you saying that like holiness is a is a tall task and pursue it and there's yeah no middle ground i think uh transformation and sanctification is it's a lifelong process Mm. right it's when we see him we'll we'll be like him Mm. and so in that time so we um but that's not to say that we don't correct right but Mm. if we're only speaking um directively but we haven't shown compassion and empathy Mm. um that's going to result in relational mm. distance. Yeah. Yeah. Eliminating that incongruence. Yeah. Trying to get our content and process to match. Yeah. Because our relational God yeah. uses relational means to accomplish his relational mission. So yeah. we're going to end here with the song. 
So, Vicki, you, you kind of picked the song out. Yes. So tell us about why you picked I the did. song and, and how it's going to go. Yes. So I grew up listening to the hymns or singing the hymns. Um, mm-hmm. And this one is maybe not quite as well known, but it's called Does Jesus Care? And what I love about it is that it weds life experience with the character and heart and care of Christ. And mm-hmm. so kind of as Luke mentioned earlier, we have had families that have lost loved ones. Um, you know, and so one of the, the lines says, does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Like mm-hmm. it's too, it's, I'm grieving and I'm aching. Does he care? Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. I hope that it blesses people mm-hmm. as it has blessed me. Great. Well, let me pray for us. And then Stephen will lead us in the song here, here in a second. Father, I know that people are asking, does Jesus care? And I do ask that Weezer Redemption Gateway would be image bearers to those people asking that question, both people in this church and people outside of this church, that we uh, would be caring people and that people um, would see that we're not just caring people because it's right or good, but we're caring people because uh, we are seeking to faithfully image the God who cares, the one who um, sees and feels and suffers with and God, I do ask that we would be people who are able and willing and interested in receiving your comfort, receiving your encouragement, so that um, we can go out and be sources of comfort and encouragement to other people. God, as we respond and sing, pray that you'd uh, help us remember that you are the relational God and you're um, in relationship with us so that we can go and faithfully be in a transformed, transformed relationship to other people. God, thank you for your patience with us, and I pray that you'd give us each um, patience with ourselves even as we seek to follow and follow you with a greater degree of holiness and a greater degree of vigor. God, thank you for songs and lyricists and for your word. Pray to encourage our hearts. Amen. Oh, 
cares, he cares, I know, he cares, his heart is touched with my grief, when the days are weary, the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart breaks till it nearly breaks. Is it all? Does he see? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary. Jesus.